Well, my apologies for that. Um, <laughs> clicking on the wrong thing and have um, wide consequences, can't it? Um, anyway, here we are. Let me just pray now. We thank you, Lord, for um, these glimpses we've had of the Lord's um, personal life, his emotional life. And um, we pray that you'll continue with us this morning as uh, we draw that to a close. But uh, we pray that we will apply the amazing truths that we've been thinking about, or you will apply, rather, I suppose I should pray, by the Holy Spirit to our own lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, I throw out from my book um, a record of all the things that we've been looking at for about, about the past six weeks or so, and unhelpfully left it at home. So um, I can't tell you the various things we've done. Um, but we've been looking latterly at the Lord's sorrows and then his joy. Um, and what I want to do is kind of apply what uh, we've been looking at these past weeks to our lives or through the scriptures by the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to read two pa short passages from Hebrews. Remember, it says in Hebrews, this isn't part of the passage, but Jesus, uh, during his time on earth, prayed with loud cries and tears. You know, he prayed, <laughs> Steve. Loud cries and tears and was heard because of his godly fear. Uh, there's nothing um, reserved about Jesus. Anyway, chapter 2 of Hebrews, and then some words um, from chapter 4. Chapter 2 and verse 14. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. But through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then in chapter 4 and uh, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So there you have the practical application of all this. Not a high priest unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Have you got weaknesses? <laughs> if you say you haven't, then you certainly have. <laughs> but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. 
Remember that. Yet without sin. Remember that. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So here we have this extraordinary um, truths about our salvation. Now, remember, if Adam hadn't sinned, then he would have uh, received immortality. In fact, I, I think in a way he had it. Um, and something I would never even attempt to explain, I don't think, had they not been, the Adam and Eve not been cast out of the garden, they could have eaten the tree of life and lived forever as sinners. Now, the tree of life is going to be there at the end times. Um, so we'll find out a bit more about it when we get to the glory. Um, now, God wasn't going to allow that. That's why he expelled them from the Garden of Eden and put um, cherubim with flaming sword to prevent their re-entry. And he cursed the ground, didn't he? But he cursed the ground, but also that brought death. Now, it was, it's so important. It's so important to get this clear. The world we live in is a cursed world in a bondage to decay. The idea that science can explain everything is an absurdity. It can explain a lot about the world as it is in the present. And um, the fact we have this technology to even do this this morning is very great testimony to that. And we're very grateful for that. Uh, but that's what it can do. And that's uh, terrific. But it can't do anything else. It can't go back behind that. It can't go back to see how things came about. Uh, and it can't, certainly can't go back to when the world was not cursed but perfect. So what does it do? Well, it does nothing. I mean, it can't do it. It's, it deals with the present. But scientists who are people, and unless they're believers or unbelievers, actually then uh, bin the truths which are in the scripture. And therefore, they don't have any original perfection. But they say everything uh, came about as a result of death and natural selection. Um, so... <laughs> only believe a scientist when he or she is talking about things that are going on in the present. When they talk about things going on in the past, don't believe them as scientists, even if they're Christians, because they're not talking about science. They're talking about philosophy and theology and revelation, if they're believers. Very important to get, you know, the, the actual limits of what we people tell us, and that doesn't happen very, very much. Well, it doesn't happen virtually at all. Which is why people believe the lie so much. And they're taught it at school and so on. Um, well, Jesus is the creator. He's part of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One member of the Trinity. First Adam sinned the plan of salvation was put into operation. And you remember, the promise is given even in the garden that the seed of the woman, strange phrase, have you ever thought about that? Women don't have seed, do they? Men do, women don't. The seed of the woman will bruise 
the serpent's head. And he should bruise his heel. So in the process of bruising the serpent's head, which is fatal, it talks about destroying him who has the power of death in, the, in these verses we've read, he himself would be uh, wounded mortally, which of course is what the, it's all about, the cross. So did you know you get the cross in the third chapter of Genesis? There you are. And uh, a virgin birth too, or the virgin birth is prophesied there. So Jesus became one of us. He was born one of us. Now, hymn writers make a lot of this. Um, one of them says this, the in Jesus, in him, the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. Because Adam, had he not sinned, would have no doubt been transformed somehow into, you know, after we had the earthly body, didn't he? And um, he would have had a body like the body of Jesus, and he would have been transformed by some process. As is true for us, but we're, we're going to do it from corruption. He would have done it from non-corruption, or God would have done it from non-corruption in his case. Um, and But what would not have happened, he would not have been an heir, a joint heir, as a son. Jesus, as the only son and the heir of God, became one of us. And, and the net result of that, although it's extremely painful to be a sinner, um, and we're still sinners right to the end of our days, but we have the Holy Spirit to give us a new kind of life, but we will then be perfected, of course, in the glory, um, and have a new body uh, at the resurrection. Um, but we'll actually be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's why the hymn writer said, uh, in him, that's Isaac Watts, isn't it? In him, in Jesus, the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. So we actually become a joint heir with Jesus Christ by virtue of being born again into the family of God and adopted. Both pictures are used. So Jesus, though, had to partake of flesh and blood. That's what it says. It says there. In chapter 2, verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of these things. So he did not have that before. Although he did appear as a man, as we know, a number of times in the Old Testament. But he became flesh. Though it wasn't sinful flesh. When you or I are born, we're born as sinners. From the sin of Adam. Now, when we, you know, particularly uh, parent, parents with their first baby, they hold the child and they think, oh, this, is, this has never been done before like this. This one's going to be perfect. Oh. And you drool over the baby uh, until reality breaks out pretty quickly. Uh, and then by the time you get to number two, three, four, however many go, you know very well what you're going to produce. Uh, a sinner like yourself. And uh, with the sort of same irritating habits that you've got. <laughs> That's a fact of life. Oh, we're sinners. But Jesus was divinely conceived and he became flesh and blood, but likeness of sinful flesh. Now, his flesh was was a, was perishable. I think you can't, I'm not saying he was like the first Adam before he sinned. Um, you know, and he needed sleep and, and so on. Um, because he became a life giving spirit at the resurrection. Uh, 
so he partook of, of, of you know, normal flesh and blood, you know, he bled if he cut himself and so on. Um, but it was not sinful. The word flesh in the uh, Bible, as you know, has different meanings. I mean, it means just this sort of, you know, this here, flesh. Uh, but it also means the sinful nature. So the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. And Jesus did not have that. So he had this sort of flesh, but he didn't have a mind that's hostile to God. So, but, but he became in all respects like us, okay? Now interrupt me anytime. You need to switch yourself on to do that. Relevant question, comment, or testimony. Okay, so that's what I want to say first of all. And second, he therefore had the whole range of human emotions. A whole lot. But unlike us, well, actually, unlike us in two ways. First way, his emotions were much stronger than ours. He wasn't a sort of apathetic kind of, you know, stooge, a kind of, um, you know, paragon of virtue that never felt anything. He was a paragon of virtue, but he felt things much more keenly than we do. Actually grieved more than we do. He was more joyful than we are. He had a depth of anger at the right time more than we do. He uh, uh, felt compassion in a way that you and I have never, ever done. The whole gamut of human emotions was in Jesus as a man and uh, much more acute. And the other thing about that is that we have ways of sort of short-circuiting our griefs and our sorrows and our temptations by kind of giving in. But he never did that. So he never pampered his emotions or stifled them or uh, found shortcuts to deal with them. So he must have been an extraordinary child to have in, your, in, his, in their home. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> We know that one incident when he was in the temple and his parents, well, Mary plus Joseph, really couldn't understand his behaviour. Do you imagine being brought up like that, perfect, and what it would be like to have that as your son? <laughs> um, no wonder his brothers didn't believe in him, it said. I mean, they, wanted, they knew he was great. They knew he had spectacular powers. And they said, go up to Jerusalem and show your powers. In other words, be Jesus Christ superstar. And uh, John says they said this because they didn't believe in him. They didn't know who he really was. I think Mary always knew who he really was because it had been revealed to her. But it's pretty difficult for her to comprehend it. But of course, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to James, who was the eldest of his other siblings, of his siblings obviously younger than him slightly, but uh, the eldest of the children of Mary and Joseph. And um, uh, in so doing, uh, the whole family came to faith. So that, uh, in chapter one of Acts, you find them all waiting for the Holy Spirit in faith. So but he became, he was born into a human family. He became one of us. He derived his human nature from Mary. 
And he had a whole range of emotions. Okay? So be unemotional is not a, is not a good thing. I mean, you you've got to, mustn't give in to over-emotionalism either. I mean, there's some people who, <laughs> uh, you know, press, wear their heart on their sleeve so much that uh, um, it becomes kind of uh, almost difficult to take. Well, yeah, I mean, we're all different. Um, but uh, to be the stiff upper lip and uh, sort of stoic is not Christian. Um, I suppose one one of the things that's probably good about our own culture is that there's more recognition of human feelings than there used to be. Um, the trouble is they're misdirected so often, or at least there's no way of evaluating them because we've chucked out the Bible. Um, but um, people are more aware of trauma, of uh, depth of emotions, of, of, of human reactions, and so on, which is a good thing. That is a good thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't say otherwise. But the trouble is, if you take the wrong, you put it in the wrong frame, then you can justify absolutely everything that shouldn't be justified, but rather uh, we need to move away from by the Holy Spirit into God's ways of thinking and doing. Okay, so Jesus had the whole range of emotions. Next thing, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Do you see that? That's amazing, isn't it? He was made like his brothers in every respect, chapter 2. Um, and he partook of the same uh, flesh, and in chapter four, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, get both those things. Jesus, you've been tempted. Well, Jesus was tempted, and he knows what you're experiencing, because he has all knowledge, of course. And he himself was tempted. In every way, in all ways. Um, I mean, remember in that temptation story, he was 40 days in the desert. And his temptations mirror the temptation of Adam or Eve. Remember, she saw that the food was good for food and looked tasty. It looked good, it tasted good. She thought, and it would make her wise. Otherwise, you know, she'd have these three things. Now, this was the same with Jesus as the last Adam. Um, he was uh, um, hungry. And uh, he was uh, tempted to make stones into bread, good for food. Um, he was um, shown, you know, the kingdoms of the world. Bow down and worship me, you'll have these. And um, attractive that was for him in a way, but he was the king. But of course, he'd laid aside all his glory. The temptation was to kind of grab it back and then go up to the temple and throw yourself off, do a spectacular thing. 
and that'll impress people. And um, that's the pride of life. And that's what John calls it, these three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Temptation's always like that. And um, so, I mean, of course, of course, because he's like us in every respect, he was tempted sexually. Of course he was. But he never sinned, not only in outward behavior, but in his mind. He never gave in to that. Um, so every way of power, fame, untruth, sex, sexuality, um, you know, lethargy, whatever, the seven deadly sins in the Catholic Church, um, he was tempted by all of those things. There's one of the, I don't know, one of the seven deadly sins, you know, it's called axidy in history, axidy, Acadia, Acadia. It means a kind of giving up, kind of sloth, it's sometimes translated. It's not quite that. Um, it's more, you know, well, if you get depressed, as I've been in the past, you, you, you're there. And uh, he, Jesus would have been tempted by that as well. Um, you know, as I say, the Catholic Church always had the seven deadly sins, and they're, they're, they're you know, a list that's worth considering. But Jesus was tempted in every way, but without sin. Now, that's the thing. He never failed. That's inconceivable to us. But it's how it is with him. Um, of course, he didn't have the sinful nature that we have. He was born in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, I don't mean that made it easier. What I mean is we sin because we're sinners. Did you know that? We're not sinners because we sin. Big distinction. Because we sin doesn't make us sinners. It's we are sinners and, and we sin. It comes out of our nature. Well, Jesus didn't have that nature, but he still had exactly the same temptations. In fact, you know, like, like Adam and Eve, uh, the temptation was always there. Um, if you've not fallen, it's still there. I mean, you've got the attraction, you, you know, the what's going to come from this kind of thing, all this stuff. And uh, that was true of Jesus. Okay, so he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Now, that's his character, everything about him. But what did he then do? Well, it tells us. Chapter 2, the children share in flesh and blood. He himself partook of the same. He had to die. He might destroy the one who through who has the power of death, as is a devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So he doesn't deal with angels. He can't, there are a third of the angels fell, and he can't, he can't save them. They, the others don't, didn't fall, and they don't need saving. It's flesh and blood, people like you and me. But then it goes on to say, verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so as he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So look, see what he came to do. On the cross, 
Lots of things happened. First of all, as high priest, he offered himself. He was the sacrifice. He was both high priest and sacrifice. Second, this sacrifice was a propitiation. That's a long word. It means a sacrifice of atonement to turn away the wrath of God from us. That's what propitiate means. Um, there is sin, our sin, uh, calls down the wrath of God, if not now, at the last judgment and in eternity. But Jesus took our sin upon himself and suffered the consequences, the guilt and the shame and the punishment. And that made him a sacrifice for sins to bring atonement. Did you know the word atonement is simply at one meant? Did you know that? <laughs> it puts you at one with God, what Jesus did on the cross, when you believe. And that's, that's what he did. That's why he came. That's why he suffered. It was agony. It was terrible. As I said to you two weeks ago, I really find it so difficult to think about the pains of the agony of Jesus. But that's what he did for you. The propitiation, in other words, to turn away God's wrath from you for your sin so that you would be accepted, justified, forgiven, made a child of God, new life, everything. Have place in heaven, the Holy Spirit in your heart, the inheritance, and so on. All that stuff through the propitiation. But that's not all, is it? He also came to destroy him who has the power of death. That is the devil, that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. Now, he obviously didn't destroy the devil there and then in the sense that, you know, he was no more annihilated. In fact, he is still around. Um, he will be bound in the abyss during the millennium when Christ rules on earth. And then he'll be set free again for a little while, deceive the nations again after the millennium and then cast into hell. That's the fate of the devil. And he knows that. He can read just like you and me. But I suppose he lives in hopes that somehow, as he tried to get Jesus to worship him, would you remember that? During the temptation. That somehow he can evade and avoid the, uh, his own death sentence. But in fact, Jesus broke the power of Satan on the cross, and this is fantastic, freed you from the slavery to the fear of death. See, human beings are enslaved to the fear of death. I mean, so many people are virtually atheists, aren't they? And they say they're just going to, you know, snap it at the end and uh, they'll go back to chemicals in the ground and that's it. And um, they... Confirm that by getting cremated, just to make sure there's no gods who can sort of do anything to them. Um, but, you know, it's often said, atheists, those who don't believe in God, are only half atheists in the middle of the night. Atheists are only half atheists in the middle of the night. The thing is, you see, there's a, a conscience, a testimony within all of us that God is there. And that we are undeserving of his mercy. And there's, that brings a fear of death. 
Of course it does. We, we obviously do all we can not to think about it, and our culture is particularly adept at doing that and having every, every sort of fun thing not to think about death, unlike the Victorians who did it more. And then, of course, when time comes, we want to make it as sort of sanitised as possible so that you don't think about death. But actually, you by nature and I fear death. I'm not surprised. We're sinners. But when you believe in Jesus, he, he puts you right with himself. There's no reason to fear death. I suppose the process of dying is fearful still, because who knows how we're going to die or what it'll be like. But, you know, just like Lazarus was taken into Abraham's bosom, uh, so we are gently taken from this life to the next. Um, it was John Wesley, I think, who said, John Wesley, the Methodist preacher, he said, our I'm not sure how many people I've witnessed dying. I've witnessed my mother dying and my wife. I think I probably have seen someone else. It's a long time ago. But I can tell you about those two. They died well. Terrible to see them go. One moment alive here, one moment not. But in peace, absolutely. But my mother... She had 14 days with us before she was taken. She had a kind of stroke and she was brought to us. We, she didn't want to go to hospital. And during those, some parts of those days, about three days, she was in torment. And she, we couldn't really understand quite what she was talking about, but she was talking, it was quite obvious, she was confessing things that were on her heart. God was preparing her for the glory. And uh, there wasn't really anything we could do about it. But then it ceased. And she was absolute perfect peace. And she was just taken then a couple of days later. And I've often thought, well, I'm so glad that she did come to us at the end. And wasn't, you know, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't, wouldn't have missed any of that, really. As far as my darling wife's concerned, uh, the, the, no such transaction was required. Um, nor did she manifest it, but she was taken peacefully. I think she knew the day before that she was going to be taken. I, of course, wouldn't believe it. Not that she told me and I didn't believe it, but I think that's how it was. But she, she t was taken so peacefully. Our people die well. And I tell you, if you've got a fear, let me tell you this, though. She had a great fear of death. Oh, she used to listen to Transworld Radio. When she was 18, she heard Joel Neighbourhood uh, talk about death, and she had a morbid fear of death. And the Lord delivered her from it. And it may be that some of you have. Uh, all I'll say to you is, are you really a believer in Jesus? And if you are, has he cleansed your conscience? Because that's important, that you don't have the consciousness of sin, because that's what he does with the blood. Some people just believe that Jesus covers their sins with blood, is blood, that's fine. But no, you need your conscience cleansed. Then you can have peace. So if you're taken today, you can be peacefully into his presence. So I'll just stress that that's what Jesus came to do, to deliver you from the fear of death. Why, why should there be a fear of death? Because death is actually not something that's natural. 
like Darwin said, to forward the species. <laughs> it's a judgment from God upon sin. And Jesus had to endure his death in order to free us from the bondage to death. Okay, so we have this high priest. Now, the high priest offers the sacrifice, but what else does he do? He prays. <laughs> all the time he ever lives to pray for you. He's up in heaven as the high priest now, praying for you all the time. Remember, the old high priest had the names of the tribes of Israel on his chest here, engraved on stones, and also on his shoulders, so that he was always representing and praying for them before God. Well, Jesus has your name engraved on his hands, and he's always praying for you. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Okay, so he's a sympathetic high priest. And we, this is the last thing I want to say, therefore, must have confidence. We ha must have confidence. Let us then, in the chapter 4 of uh, Hebrews, then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done. Not because you're good or righteous, because you're not. But he is all my righteousness. Let us then draw near with confidence, near to the throne of grace, that we might receive what? Mercy. We always need mercy, don't we? Mercy is for the undeserving. So you always get that whenever you go to God. And grace to help in time of need. Whatever that need is. That's... That's the priest we've got. That's the one who became one of us. That's the, he's the man Christ Jesus in heaven. While he lived on earth, a basic friend of sinners was his name, says John Newton. Now, above all glory raised, he rejoices in the same, the same name. Still, he calls them, or you and me, friends, and to all our wants, 